Morning, everyone. It's really good to be here this morning. I don't know if, uh, if it's just me and holidays coming up, but I'm actually going to miss being here. It's so good to gather together as God's people. There's, uh, there's this promise that Jesus has made to us that when God's people gather together, His Spirit is present in the midst. And there's a promise that where God's Spirit is present, there is freedom, there is joy, and there is power. God meets us in gathering together. And it's such a privilege. It's uh, a powerful thing. And when you've never experienced it before, it can kind of be a bit overwhelming. So we're looking at the book of Acts this morning. Uh, We're back uh, uh, in the story of the early church. And uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter 4. So I've got the readings on the screen. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work among them, just as I was mentioning before. There were no needy persons among them, For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I love that line, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. When, when you belong to Jesus, there is an innate understanding that everything you possess belongs to him as well. He is the Lord of me, so he is the Lord over everything that I have responsibility for. And as, as Neil talked about, amongst the early Christians, there was this deep understanding that if we belong to Jesus, it means we're part of the same family. We're, we're going to start functioning as a family, so we'll care for one another and we'll support one another. It's a powerful thing. Last week, um, we, we read about the transformation of Paul as he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he had this dramatic revelation that Jesus is Lord that this one I've been persecuting, the one who I've been going out against, he is actually the king of heaven and earth. Jesus is Lord. And uh, it transformed his world. But it wasn't just him. I love it. Uh, In Jerusalem, there are thousands of people who are discovering that Jesus is Lord and it's transforming their world and transforming this little community. It united them. So they had sell their possessions if they had need and they distribute it and they look after one another. The the Jerusalem church is kind of just naturally living out this belief that says we belong to something bigger than ourselves. It's kind of how life is meant to function but we very rarely see it in this world. We belong to something bigger than ourselves and we will give ourselves to it, whatever we have, however we need it. Soon, and it's not very long, reality will kick in. 
There's a famine. There's disunity. It's actually hard to live as a family. They'll have to work through how to have this attitude in a world in which it's not quite how it should be and that there's still frustrations and people. But right now, they are just following the work of Jesus. Jesus who said, if you have two cloaks, sell one or give one to someone who has none. And who told the story of the dishonest manager who went out and used his wealth to bless other people and make friends. He told us, don't store up treasures on earth where they'll just rot and destroy and you can't keep them, but store up treasures in heaven. He said, buy purses that don't run out. And these guys are just putting it into practice. They are simply doing it. And it's powerful. We've got a kind of a lot to learn from the early church, I think. Um, in some ways, it was a new thing. You, you know how it is with new things. There's an excitement and energy around it. After a while, you've got to get ready for the long haul. <laughs> but at the beginning, there's just newness and excitement. And one of the guys that's um, a big part of pushing this forward is a man named Joseph. He's a Levite from Cyprus, who they give the nickname Barnabas. And we're going to focus in on Barnabas this morning. Our kids are learning about Barnabas in there. I've said to Eli, I really want you to pay attention to Barnabas and what his attitude is. Because um, Barnabas is a Levite. So a Levite means he was part of the priestly tribe. They were responsible for keeping the commands of God, for teaching people, for leading worship. He was someone who knew the scriptures in and out. But he's also from Cyprus. So he's a Greek speaker. He hasn't grown up in Jerusalem. He's grown up out amongst the Greeks. He knows the language and he knows the customs of the Roman culture. So God is going to use Barnabas to kind of bridge the gap that's coming up, the gap between the Jewish faith and the Gentile world. Uh, but what I love most about Barnabas is his name. His name is Son of Encouragement. In Greek, it's actually, I, I don't often use Greek, but it's great to um, bring it out every now and again. Huios parakletos, Son of Encouragement. This word parakletos or paraclete is um, how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit when he said, I will send you another parakletos, another advocate. How good is it f to be called son of advocation, just like the Holy Spirit? He's a good man, Barnabas. He's an advocate, an encourager, someone who lives out exactly what the Spirit of God will do. I, I wish I was a bit more of a son of encouragement rather than a man of cynicism. Uh, like I said, life has a way of knocking the edges off some of that joy and enthusiasm. All of us have a lot to learn from Barnabas, especially at the moment, I think. He was someone who was positive, who saw the best in people, and he encouraged others to be the person God had created them to be. I wonder what might change in this place if uh, we were a little better at doing that. It's about encouraging people and saying, I see this gift in you and I want you to keep going with it. Go at it. Be the person 
God has called you to be, as Neil kind of talked about. This is who you are. We want to see you be that person and encourage you to just do it wholeheartedly. Go for it. I want to read you another story about Barnabas. When Saul came to Jerusalem, you remember he was in Damascus, went there to kill the Christians, saw Jesus on the road, started preaching for Jesus. Eventually they had to smuggle him over the wall because everyone was so frustrated with his preaching and they wanted to kill him. So they smuggle him over the wall, he heads up to Jerusalem. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They thought he was an infiltrator, someone who was pretending to be on their side so he could get on the inside and then destroy them. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He can't help himself, he's, he's got to preach. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. <laughs> Are you getting the theme here for Paul? When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Barnabas is like this key connecting figure in Paul's ministry. Without him, Paul would never have been able to go on and do the ministry that he did because he wouldn't have had that connection with the Jerusalem church, that authorization, that connection back to Jesus, actually. The apostles in a very real way, represented the authority of Jesus and his kingdom. They had lived with him, they knew the stories of him, they could pass on this knowledge, and so Barnabas connects Paul up with them. They, they kind of had lots in common. Barnabas was a priest, Paul was a Pharisee. Pharisees care deeply about the law and they try and live like they're priests, even though they're not. They want to be really holy. And so they had this kind of common understanding and um, way of looking at the world. They're also both native Greek speakers who'd grown up outside Jerusalem and at segregation. They knew how to function in the wider world. They were worldly kind of guys. And where everyone else in Jerusalem, who is used to living in Jerusalem, sees danger, Barnabas sees opportunity. He sees what the Spirit sees. He sees a man powerfully called by God who has the potential to do something truly great. And he, as he hears the story of Paul, he kind of recognises that the Spirit of God is at work in him and he says, how can I encourage that? How can I take what the Spirit has begun in Paul and see it grow into this thing which I think it has potential to become? So he brings Paul to the apostles. Um, like I said, Paul's not too focused on that. Actually, you read his story and the way he talks, he doesn't really care who the apostles are. He's like, well, Jesus has called me, so it doesn't really matter what these guys think. I'm just called to preach. And that's what he does. He goes out and preaches and begins to get in everyone's grill. And they get so fed up with him, <laughs> speaking about Jesus and proving them wrong, that they try and kill him. And Paul is just like Simon who we read about, who 
engages with the Hellenistic Jews. And the thing about being a Greek person, being someone from outside Jerusalem, is you feel you've got a chip on your shoulder. You have to prove that you are living to the letter of the law and you don't let any kind of error in. So they're hypersensitive to keeping the boundaries. And Paul is pushing the boundaries. So Greek. So um, because they're not living physically in Jerusalem, the main thing that ties their identity is that they keep the law really strongly. So when Paul starts preaching that Jesus is Lord and that he's come to fulfill the law, they're really nervous. So they try and kill him. But the believers are on guard and they send him off to Tarsus. They get him out of there before they have a chance to stone him like they stoned Stephen. And then there's a fantastic verse. The church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Again, that word encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Through our Acts, you notice this pattern. Uh, the thing that happens is that there is massive um, problems and persecution and struggle. There is something that comes in that looks like it's going to destroy the church. It looks like the faith and the mission of Jesus is going to be broken. But through faithfulness and prayer and perseverance and the work of the Spirit, God overcomes. And he turns the challenge, actually, into fruitful ministry. He uses the challenge for the good of the gospel, for the work that he's trying to do, for the mission of Jesus. So there's this time of challenge, followed by this time of peace, where people enjoy being the church together, where God solidifies the thing that he's been doing and starts to really bear fruit. So always this pattern. Challenge looks like they're going to be destroyed, but then this time of peace and fruitfulness. I'm starting to uh, think through our plans for next year as a church. Really hard to make plans off the back of this year because it's like, ah, <laughs> am I really able to plan much? But one of the things I'm starting to sense is that um, God wants to do that in us. That through 2021, God wants to invite us into a time of peace and fruitfulness to be strengthened, to honour him and seek him and allow his spirit to go to work and just enjoy being his people and seeing the fruit that comes from that. That's my hope for next year. Uh, can I get an amen to that? I know we're not... <laughs> amen. Uh, amen literally means, yes, Lord, let it be. <laughs> and uh, please keep praying for us in that. Amen. Amen. Barnabas actually um, gets called into one of those seasons. So I want to um, take you through. This is the last passage that we'll look at. What that looks like. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. What, what people had meant to harm the church, God used to spread his message and his gospel and his kingdom. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus, like Barnabas and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 
News of this reached back to the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch to kind of see what was going on there and make sure that it was all kosher. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Uh, Barnabas, like I said, was an excellent choice to send to the city of Antioch. He could speak the culture. Um, Antioch, by the way, was the third largest city in the Roman world, third largest city in the um, whole of heaven and earth at that stage. It was a really cosmopolitan city, lots of people coming together from all different cultures and backgrounds and languages. And instead of trying to clamp down and bring the church back to the very um, ordered Jewish way of faith, he recognized that God is doing something new here. That in this new place, God is doing a fresh expression of what it means to be his people. And Barnabas encourages that. He recognized the Spirit of God's at work here. He's taking this group of people and he doesn't want to clamp them down. He wants to encourage them to be all that he's calling them to be. Not like Jerusalem, but a new thing. So he gets alongside them and he teaches them how to be faithful, how to hang on to the Lord, but still live out your faith as Greeks. It's a radical thing for a Jewish person to do. A Jewish person who ha- for all their life has believed that um, hope will come when everybody joins the Jewish faith. And now he's saying, actually, God's doing something over here in a new way. It's a, it's a powerful thing to do. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Barnabas again lives up to his name. He sees in Paul a great gift for teaching and evangelizing him, so he goes and gets him. He says, Paul, there's something great happening down here in Antioch, and I want you to leave what you're doing in Tarsus and come down and be a part of it. Um, A lot of what we've been talking about in Acts has been about this movement of God to draw people together. It's one of the great moves of the Spirit is what happened when people recognize they belong to the same family and they start caring for one another and um, loving one another and being united. But the other move of the Spirit, the other thing that the Spirit of God brings is a move out, a move to send people. Jesus said, go into all the world. Go and be a blessing. I haven't called you to bring in the boundaries. I've called you to push them out. So as much as we uh, love that idea of coming in and being together, one of the things that we need to be open to is the push of the Spirit to go out, to actually leave some good things and go to a new place where God is doing a new thing, actually be part of it and uh, seek Him there. So that's what Paul does he goes, he goes to Antioch, and there's just this explosion of fruit. It's amazing what happens when people line up their gifts with what God's calling them to do. 
There's just this explosion of life and fruit that is more than the sum of the parts. God's Spirit goes to work. That's the power of encouragement. It unlocks something in people and in the church. It unlocks fruitfulness. It's a powerful thing to say to someone, I see this in you. God has wired you up for something and I want to encourage you to go and pursue it and do it. Um, So, let me ask you, this is where I kind of turn it back to you. Um, Who is your Barnabas? Who is the person in your life who is encouraging you or has encouraged you? Do you have someone who knows you, who is wise, who loves God, and is encouraging you to go out and live a life using your God-given gifts? If not, try and find one. You're in small groups. Part of the reason why we're in small groups is so we can do that for one another, encourage one another, and be open with one another. On the flip side, this is uh, probably um, something I, I think is more relevant for us even. Who's your Paul? Who is that person you are speaking encouragement into? Who's that person that you see something in that's not quite developed yet? And you think, if God gets a hold of this person, they could do something amazing. Maybe not by the standards of everyone else, but you see something in them. Who are you releasing and advocating for and being a son of encouragement to? I love the fact that the little people are just walking in the door right now. We have such an opportunity here at Glenosmond. We have an amazing spirited group of young people. Some of them far too spirited, but imagine what God can do if he grabs a hold of these guys and they find their fit and their place and they join with him in the work that he's doing. Imagine what can happen if we say to these guys, we see something in you that is God-given and we want to encourage you in. We want to release you to be that person you were created to be. If we um, raised up some Pauls and some John Marks like Barnabas does, um, Americans are much better at doing this than we are. We, uh, insults tend to be our encouragement language rather than actual encouragement. So I think we've got a way to go in this. Um, here in Adelaide as well, we're not very good at this because we still tend to have that small town mentality that says, I will start encouraging you and welcoming you after you've been around for maybe three years, maybe 10 years. Then I'll start to invest in you. We're not very good at just... Maybe I'm a little bit weird because as soon as people walk in the door, um, I often want to encourage them and welcome them and treat them like their family. But um, we probably need to all catch some of that um, to say, look, I don't know you, (laughs) but God has called you to be something and I want to encourage you in that. Beck wants to encourage me to finish up. So uh, let me finish up. God longs to bear fruit and bless the world and he has given us gifts to be able to do it. He's called us to be a part of it. Encouragement is such a powerful element of that. 
It's so hard to grow up into the person you're created to be without someone encouraging you and cheering you on. So encourage someone. Can I encourage you even this week to just encourage someone? Say, I love what you do. Keep it up. Or I see this in you. Or do more of this. Or I really appreciate that. Tell them. Especially the kids. Think through how you can be an encourager in this place because we really need it. And if we do, God will use it to bless and be fruitful. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the people present in this room. I just pray for that time of peace and fruitfulness and blessing that I get a sense we're moving into. May we move with you. May we, by your Spirit, encourage one another. May we build up um, those who you have brought together in this place, especially the young people. May we see a generation that is even more um, passionately on fire for you, who do greater things than us. May we just cheer them on, I pray. And thank you so much for the little people and uh, not-so-little people that are a part of this community. We are so thankful for what you have brought together here. Not just the potential for the future, but for what you're doing right now. Thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. Amen.